0: Welcome to the Good People's Group post-racial podcast. What this is not, this is not a conversation about how interracial relationships are the end-all, be-all solution to racism. Any conversation that says we are in a post-racial society is lying to you because, well, we're not. What this podcast hopes to be is a podcast that really interrogates America's potential for change and owning our role and our part in our nation's most pressing question and most important conversation.
1: <laughs> Go ahead, Sid. tell them. <laughs> I'm Sydney Olberg. And I'm Liana Um I am a transracial adoptee, Afro-Brazilian, born in Brazil, uh, raised right here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I'm Sydney. I am a white lady from Minnesota. It seems like no matter how many times we have these kinds of conversations with our friends or our family or, you know, if you're the kind of person that is having those conversations, it doesn't seem to translate. It doesn't seem to actually like be happening. We get stuck in this acknowledging part of it where we're talking and talking and talking about it, um, which in, in a lot of ways is a really important part of that. But I think that in a way... When it comes to this kind of conversation, we have been talking about it for a really long time, but we're still kind of stuck in this place where we're just we're not acting yet. We're just kind of talking over and over and over again. But when we actually get to the house, when we actually get to the place, when we actually get in front of our friends, uh, it's like a completely different story.
0: Right. It doesn't matter what your holiday table looks like. You're either confronting oppression or you're
1: complicit in it. Bam, that's all I got. <laughs> that's all there is. Well, I don't know about you, Sid, but I'm always like confronted constantly, especially during this time of year, with, you know, confessions of, you know, my friends or family, you know, racist family members. And how am I going to deal with this? And what does this mean? And, or could you give me advice? Or how do I handle this? And it's, it kind of is a little bit overwhelming. And then also on the flip side of it, I'm like, confronted with it. And I'm like grappling with like how much I even want to deal with this person (laughs) telling me this. Do I, you know, do I engage? Do I not engage? I don't know.
0: So what does it look like when we talk about oppression and families and what it means to speak up at the holiday dinner table?
1: always an issue. You know, it's always, you know, thinking about how are we going to engage our families, our friends. And, you know, this year, I'm really going to stand up for myself. You know, this year, I'm really going to, you know, stand up for, you know, the oppressed people. I'm going to tell my family no, or I'm going to, you know, not let my, you know, Republican uncle tell me about, you know, whatever he wants to tell me about. And I think that it's just like this is this is that moment where we make it often about other people. But it's really about, you know, sort of reckoning with with our own, um, you know, lack of boundaries, maybe even. And, and, And I feel like it's a challenge every time we get together this time of year to really reflect, you know, on our on the boundaries we've set or not set with people around our our beliefs and values. Yeah, I mean it shows up in so many different ways, right? For some of us it seems to be more obvious, you know. I think that, you know, in white families it looks very different than if you're, you know, in another kind of um, more, you know, multiracial, or if you're in a black family, it shows up differently. All of these things show up differently depending on who you are. But at the end of the day, you know, we're, we're oftentimes confronted with some pretty hard situations. And I know that in our line of work, particularly, you know, we are privy to a lot of, a lot of situations <laughs> that a lot of people are up against, you know, so we really see that this shows up in so many uh, different ways. And I think, you know we decided that it was important to kind of discuss those different ways that it shows up. Right. Because it's not just, you know, like the racist uncle, you know, I think that we often sort of use these sort of caricatures of people as like scapegoats to just kind of like to put the blame on, you know, at the, in the whole family really. Right. We just, you have these problematic people and they just kind of become the focus. Um, But really, you know, there's a lot of different things that are happening that are oppressive in those spaces. And, you know, one of the things that's the most important to Sydney and I in our work, um, I'm going to speak for you if that's okay. Mm-hmm. Is that okay? Yes. Okay. <laughs> but what I think that, that, you know, one of the most important things to us is that we're getting across to people that oppression exists in all of our, our lives and that, that we carry that out um, in, in all of these different ways. And one of the most important things we can can really do is focus on how systems Probably even more importantly than any other system, the familial system has began and allows us to continue to perpetuate a lot of the really abusive places that we find ourselves in all the other aspects of our lives. So you know if we're working with people who are talking about you know the racism at work that they're experiencing or all of these other things that are happening, you know oftentimes you know those are rooted. And even, even our willingness and how we engage with that in our office is rooted in our willingness and how we engage, engage currently or engaged as young people in, you know, especially without that agency as young people, because we don't give young people agency, you know, has shown up at that level.
0: Yeah. And I think for those of us, we hear a lot about chosen family, right, and, and uh, making... A choice to remove ourselves from either people who don't share our beliefs, or if we felt marginalized in our families, or we disagree fundamentally with the way they view humanity and treat each other, we sort of uh, we use this chosen family as a way to escape that. But at the end of the day, if we are not being honest with ourselves about what in our own self, in our own life that we haven't confronted then we can repeat and kind of recreate what we grew up in, in our quote unquote chosen families. So there's some level I think too of, you know, whoever's around your table, whether for you, you have decided to stay connected with the people that raised you, uh, with where you grew up as a child, or whether the people around your table are friends and people that came into your life later. We all have to be aware and be humble um, and be able to self-reflect on how this stuff is showing up in our relationships.
1: Yeah, I think that we have a tendency to replace um, replace things without realizing it. So oftentimes we, because of the way that white supremacy through abuse has kind of like settled and manifested in in our identities, it's become this sort of thing where we we use this idea of chosen family as a way to think that we've escaped. If you move away from that and you're not actually thinking about the specifics of how, you know, oppression and white supremacy has shown up for you and also how you have, you know, completed that cycle, right? It's like these things are done to us and we do them. So if you're not just thinking about how... If, you know, if we're hyper focused, right. So if we're hyper focused on what people have done to us and we're not focused at all at, at, on how we have repeated that or continue that cycle, you know, we're, we're actually, um, still allowing that to happen in these other spaces. And so then what happens is, is sometimes we can traumatize and hurt relationships with people that we really do very deeply care for.
0: Cause you know, what I think about is, is why why is family so much harder why is it that this comes up every year why are the holidays so hard and why is family so much harder harder than work harder than watching the news harder than confronting that person who is always yelling stuff on the bus i don't know like why is it that family is so much harder To
1: confront? Well, I mean, there's so many reasons, right? (laughs) But I think at the end of the day, right, it's we see ourselves in our family, like we know that we are tied to that on some level, you know, when we are born, um, you know, and this is complicated, because as an adoptee, this is a very complicated thing, right? Like I wasn't born into the exact same situation that I was raised in. So there's a lot of complexities there. And so allowing for, for nuance here. But at the end of the day, you know, we are coming up, no matter who we are, no matter what way you think of family. Either way, we are all really a culmination of everything we've experienced, heard, seen, been taught, right? The way people talked around us like how we um, you know, get our own like accents, you know, regional accents and different things like that, but we are a culmination of that. And it's really hard To constantly try to maintain your autonomy and be like, I'm my own person, right? You get into your teen years and you're like, I'm my own person. And you're like begging to be your own person. And the reason why we know a lot of times we're begging to, you know, is because that's that moment that we recognize what's been done to us, right?
0: Well, that's interesting. And it makes me think that there might be a lot of people out there that disagree with us. That think that there is nothing going wrong around their family table. um, And that maybe there are people who believe in post racial maybe there are people who believe that that picture of a family being together no matter what sort of like love conquers all and i wonder if us explaining what what we think is actually happening around the table that can hurt people and how it's more obvious that it's more obvious that it hurts certain
1: people than others people feel like there's aspects of their family life that are very abusive, right? And it's hard because oftentimes these are people that we do care for, we do love. And it's really hard to navigate what that means. And it's, it's complicated. And, you know, Sydney, you mentioned that, you know, there are people, there's definitely people that don't think that there are any problems, right? I've been to houses for holidays with people who don't think, they probably have any of these things going on, right? Like, you know, a lot of times, you know, there's families, you know, especially as, you know, an adoptee, there are families who, you know, think that because they they have, you know, this sort of mixed, for lack of a better word, you know, space around, you know, in their home, that then, you know, a conversation around race isn't necessary because everybody's on the same page. So we often think, you know, I think that's sort of like this neoliberal concept where it's like, Everybody gets it here, you know. We've got we've got it. We don't need it, you know. We, um, we're we're all politically voting the same or something like mm-hmm. that. And like all of a sudden, it means that there's no conversation to be had. And and as somebody who is often the other in those moments, you know, that's when you kind of you know your heart kind of drops to you know to, to your feet because you're just like mm, like okay, it's so much deeper than that, right? And it's not just a matter of like putting blame. Um, you know, ex- I think that we just put this blame like externally all the time, whether it's like other families, other people, you know, racism is black people's problem, right? Um, to fix, you know, or like, uh, you know, some this this expectation that like LGBTQ people are going to like, you know, solve that the problem of heteronormativity and, and, and you know, and violence against queer people. And it's like, it's not ours to hold. Um, and it doesn't mean it that there's not responsibility there on in certain ways, which clearly we take on often, right? Like it's recognized, but it does mean that, you know, the flip side of it is that denial, right? That like really intense denial that these things exist, just you have to zip it. And if you challenge it, um, you know, that comes at a really high price, right? Because you still know that there's only so far that you can really take it before somebody is throwing their, you know, throwing their power around and going to make you either so uncomfortable that you leave or ask you to leave. And so it's like, you're always kind of playing this, this game with how, you know, how much you can confront, confront it. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because if you, you know, we were talking the other day about this, but you know, there's this other side of it too, where it's like, not just this, how am I sort of like, what am I getting out of this sort of like martyred position, right? Where, you know, where um, I'm that person maybe who went to college and like you know has a you know great job and um, or maybe not if you're, if you're a millennial but you know you're you're out here you're doing the best you can you're you know you're educated you're having these kinds of conversations and you go back home you know and and then what right like you tell everybody about themselves you know like you're like you know I now know and then you kind of become that person. I mean I think that's the moment, right, when you realize something is just not right even if you don't know how to name it and then you kind of try to back up what you believe and that's when you kind of start to find the people, the conversations that you need to have. Um but the point is, right, that we're moving the conversation forward and I think that what what we're trying to do in our families is, you know, whether, you know, whoever you're spending the holidays with, right? Like You know, for me, it's just like it's, uh, you know, holidays are just like a couple of people. And it's a very different experience for me than some other people who have all their family members, you know, like they're going over for Christmas. And it's like, you know, there's a packed house, you know, like I don't really have that particular particular experience. But, you know, it's interesting. um, It's interesting because there's this, you know, what do you do when you begin to you know as an adoptee this is i learned this too late but it was very important is this idea that um you know everything can be true right at one time it's not like there's just one thing <laughs> so it's like i can simultaneously like love my family love my fr- love whoever i love right while still wanting to navigate the complexities of our rela- you I know think, you can't externalize it anymore
0: i think that when you say that, it makes me realize the importance of not being passive. And so I think a lot of the time, what we talk about, you talk about, we sort of put the responsibility of holding the difference between what we understand and what the people that we love understand uh, on, on women, on people of color, and people with disabilities, um, but if I'm a white person and the person, my partner in my life or my friend or whoever I am bringing to the space, this to this dinner table, this holiday dinner table, I have just as much responsibility and not only for this other person who is, quote unquote, who is more oppressed, but that, that identity in a system is more oppressed. But I have just as much responsibility to be doing the work of understanding how to take that relationship to the next level and understand myself as the other person does. Because white supremacy, patriarchy, heteronormativity, whether or not you fit, quote unquote, into those categories or not, it affects us all because it dehumanizes all of us. And so to say that it's up to my my child who identifies as trans or my partner who's Asian in a mostly white family um, or my business partner who's a black woman to do the work of understanding our relationship. And that I am not supposed to be doing that work as well. Um, I mean, it for sure does a disservice to someone who's marginalized in the space, but it definitely also does a disservice to me. And I think that so often we don't put the responsibility on white people or men, um, or straight people to do the work. Um, Because we pretend, when I say we, I mean we as white people, we pretend that we are not affected by that as
1: well. Um, You know, something else that I've been thinking about, you know, with this conversation that floats around, you know, um, how to address racism at your family table, how to address, you know... um, you know, violence against any marginalized group, right? But how do you prevent this around your table? I also think about all of the other places that the holidays happen, right? So it's like, it's not just like, oh, I'm here with my family, but it's also like with friends, you know? I find it interesting, like during the holidays, people come together and see their childhood friends. And usually that's, you know, some people think that's really great and exciting, but but people change, right? Like people change. And so for some reason, just like we do with our family, we also tend to do this with our old friend groups where we just kind of like, keep hanging out with these people, even though oftentimes they're super oppressive too. And they're saying things that are really like, not okay. And, and, and we use this idea that we only see them once a year as like an escape route, right? But it's also like, there has to be these conversations of accountability because I've found that, you know, I will talk and talk and talk and, I, and you think you, you're on the same page with people. And then when it comes to being in the space in real time, the value still rests in maintaining the status quo of your past relation. It's almost like you romanticize this nostalgia instead of actively building a more equitable current relationship with a person who's really so actually supportive of that growth in you. So it's it's interesting because we also use like this idea of the holidays as this like once a year thing. Like it's just, you know, it's just for this moment and then we can let it go. But I just wonder like, what is that doing to us?
0: At the end of the day, there are just things that need to be done when you're in a relationship. Um lines that need to be drawn. Things that need to be done to make, sure, to make sure that the relationship that you have is safe, it's accountable, it's equitable for both people that are involved. And I think that the holidays are the place that we have to be drawing those lines. And I think there are real things that are non-negotiables that are, on the t- that are, that are not on the table for discussion when we're talking about holidays and safety, especially when we're talking about you know, racial relationships or where there are different power dynamics.
1: And you should have these discussions, you know, with your, um, you know, family members, et cetera, you know, because this is not just about partners, um, but also just like your entire family, like having those conversations with your entire family, sitting down and saying, are there people in our family that we do probably see only once or twice a year that make you uncomfortable? Why do they make you uncomfortable? What do you want? Right. And this means your children, too, because they, they have a right to tell you that they do not feel comfortable around certain people. Right. And then this is when we have, you know, abusive situations and people go, oh, my gosh, I can't believe it. And it's like, well, you know, maybe there were signs, but we also just don't allow young people, you know, to to tell us what they need. We're just like, no, you have to. This is what we do.
0: So after all this, we still have the burning question everybody wants to know: What is the answer, and what do I do when some underhanded or overt racist comment or situation happens at my holiday dinner table?
1: What do I do, Liana? There's no answer to that. <laughs> There's no one answer, you know. And we're going to give you some suggestions um, and some things to think about. But at the end of the day. You know, what Sydney and I really do is think about, you know, how identity plays the biggest role. Who we are first. Who are we? Which means that for some of us, we're going to have to name that by yourself in your own room, alone, maybe with a journal. Who are you? <laughs> what is your race? What is your power dynamic? You know, and, and, and what does that mean in relationship to the people you spend your time with or are about to spend your time with? And then, um, you know, then we start to consider what are our options because that's what it is. There are options. Everybody has choice.
0: Yeah, I think um, that you have to consider your identity, the other person's identity and your relationship. There's where you're at in your growth. There's where you're
1: at in your understanding. The future. It's not just about being a perfect person. You know, we're not perfect people. We don't do everything right. We don't say everything right all the time. Um, you know, in no way are we innocent or not complicit in our own oppression daily and the oppression of others. Um, we are, uh, we all are in in different ways. And I think that uh, for us in this conversation that we are going to have with you um, as we go forward here is is really I think that's something that I really want to stress. And and if not, then you know, wanting to move toward accountability is probably not going to happen. <laughs> at least at least not yet. So I think that's an important part of it. Um, And some some other things that, you know, to consider in these conversations is you don't have to engage. That's that's another option, right? You don't have to engage at all. You can also just walk away. You don't have to always feel like you have to always engage. You know, there are moments where and days where things have happened to us, too, where we're just we're not in the place. And I think that we also have to consider that, you know, and even if that's not the case, um, depending on who you are sometimes walking away is really the best thing, you know, walking, engaged, not walking away, not engaging anymore. Uh, and for some people and for certain moments, that's, that is the best option um, because it can be unsafe, you know, especially when we're talking about when we're sitting around a table with family or at the bar with friends, you know, forcing these, com- forcing the marginalized person for lack of a better word, to be the one, the, you know, to be the the pioneer of the conversation is really just kind of creating a very violent space for them Um.
0: remembering that uh, like Liana's saying as a person of color you can or as a marginalized person you can step away from a conversation that's oppressive That as a white person we err on the side of being too fragile in those conversations and that we really have to critique ourselves and say am I just actually uncomfortable Am I actually just being defensive in this situation?
1: Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of layers there too. You know, it depends. Like I said again, who you're talking to, right? And that power dynamic. Because I could imagine, you know, even as a white person or a white woman, you know, if you're talking to, you know, an abusive, maybe violent white male family member, that can open up a whole uh, another layer of um, of potential um, violence um, that you know, that's also important. And I think that, you know, I'm not certainly not trying to get anybody off the hook by any means, but I do think that we, no matter who you are, you need to think about those moments, um, and who you're speaking to and what, uh, the possible repercussions could be. And, and is it worth it to you as an individual, um, to go into that, that fire, no matter what it is. and, 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 and...
0: so unfortunately it sounds like we don't have the answers. Actually, no one has the answers, but we have things to consider. And if you want more help, there's plenty of places to go for that. You don't have to just.
1: Something I found, uh, and I know, Sydney, you've tested. Uh, so, But uh, Showing Up for Racial Justice has um, a, uh, you can text SOS to 82623, uh, and they'll uh, send you a list of topics and help you have these conversations in real time, which is, pretty cool
0: also no more fat phobia during the holidays you know everybody loves cookies or you don't Maybe you don't but the point is it doesn't matter no body shaming no fat phobia
1: one of my favorite places is morelove.org um i think they're really fantastic they uh give you a lot of examples on how to focus on the person and not the body so um Like an example is things that we hear all the time at the dinner table uh, or right when we walk in the door. You know, it's often like the second you walk in the house, it's somebody is commenting that. Usually for me, it's (laughs) it's somebody telling me that I'm not feeding my partner because he's so skinny. Um, But it looks uh, different. You know, have you lost weight? Um, Have you gained weight? You look great. You look so skinny. Let's fatten you up. I mean, we've all heard these different kinds of things. White person,
0: stop complaining about your white racist family members to your friends of color. They're probably tired of hearing about it and they experience it almost every day anyway. Uh,
1: That makes me think about party parties, you know, like a really fun thing that you can also do to get things off your chest while also um, learning about ways to address this uh, is to have parties where the specific goal, you know, right before the holidays, you can, you can invite your friends over, um, hang out, have a drink, do whatever you do for fun uh, and talk about these experiences with my mom passed away recently and something that she did every you know, Thanksgiving we got together with everybody was she, you know, she always said, you know, this during prayer time, which in a white family is pretty important time, but she would always talk about, you know, the land we were on, the indigenous peoples of that land, um, just acknowledging uh, who they are, the ancestors, the presence there, what's been taken from them that has allowed us to sit at that table. And I realized that, you know, th- you know, just this year um, was the first Thanksgiving that she wasn't there. And I thought, I, of course, like I thought, okay, well, now it's, now, it's, now I have to do that. But I also was thinking about, whoa, like we don't even talk about why we're really all sitting around the table. You know, when I grew up, I always saw my mother having hard conversations. And I'm sure that that probably, you know, allowed me to feel a little bit more comfortable doing that too. So I think, you know, are we doing that? How are we doing that? How are we supporting our children when they're bringing, bringing things up? You know, are we just shutting them down? You know, these are all ways that we continue these kinds of oppressive um, familial cycles. And so we need to be, you know, hyper aware um, and, and at the very least start to begin that awareness. Right. So we want to encourage you all to have conversations with each other, with your friends and your family. But if you feel the need to respond immediately, you should probably just sit with that for a minute. If you call us names or push back, I mean that's cool. However, we're just two people and the real influence happens when we take the spotlight off of others and put it onto ourselves and see how we can engage in our lives more fully and intimately with others.
0: We are so happy that you joined us today. Thank you. And keep joining us. You can follow us on Instagram. Find us at the good peoples group because we want to hear from you now that you've heard from us.